Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Like Bryant said earlier, my name is Tyler. I am the Connections Pastor here. I, uh, I just wanted us to spend a few minutes in a welcomed in series, making sure you guys had in fact been welcomed in. I mean, we spent four weeks welcoming you in, but just had to make sure you felt that welcome. So glad, glad we got that chance to kind of intermingle. You guys probably did better than 10 o'clock. I won't tell them that unless they see this recording, but yeah, you guys did better. They were just kind of like, hey, you guys did great. I love it. I love it. Well, if you haven't been here for parts of our series, just want to recap a bit of it for you. We've been walking through Ephesians chapter 2. Just kind of breaking it down a couple of verses at a time. Our first week, we, we were in Ephesians, and we, we looked at how through Jesus, we're able to be welcomed in from death to life. And week two, we took, in, we took that a step further and we said we're able to be welcomed in from death to life because of this free gift of grace. And not only do you get to, do you get to be welcomed in from death to life, you actually get to then live out the purpose God created you for. And that's, that's huge. And week three, we took and we said, you know, this, this is a world that isn't typically full of peace. You get a lot of hostility, you get a lot of anxiousness, you got worries. But because of Jesus, you're actually able to be welcomed in from a world without peace to a world of peace. And today we're going to look at the last couple of verses of Ephesians chapter 2 and we're going to we're going to see how what Jesus has to say about family. Now, did any of you guys recognize the song that played while you were welcoming? Let's roll it again. Let's get a quick little glance of it. Anybody know it? Shout it out. Who knows it? There it is. Family Matters. It sounds like Full House. It's actually Family Matters. That's right. Yep. The same guy did both songs, and that's why they sound similar. But no, that was Family Matters, the TV show that introduced us to who? Who? Steve Urkel. I love that you feel that it introduced you to Steve Urkel. It didn't. It introduced you to the Winslow family. Steve Urkel wasn't actually originally part of the cast. He actually wasn't in the first several episodes of the show. And when he turned up, he was actually only supposed to be in one episode to be a date for Laura. And then he was going to be gone forever. But he was such an instant hit that they said, nope, you're now a series regular. They actually took and changed the title screen to that iconic moment you remember from the show of Steve pushing on the door, trying to get in the house while the Winslow family's slamming that thing shut in front of him. They changed that in the middle of the season and rewrote several episodes because he was so huge. And everybody loved him. Except for the cast, of course, because, you know, Steve wasn't even supposed to be here. and Now, all of a sudden, he's basically the main character. And so it created a little tension there between Jaleel White, the guy who played Steve Urkel, and the rest of the cast of Family Matters. And it didn't just create tension with the cast. It actually created some tension for Jaleel White himself because as he grew up through the seasons, he had to maintain that scrawny, nerdy look. And he's not a scrawny, nerdy person if you've ever seen him since Family Matters was over. He actually had to shave daily and was not allowed to work out at all. 
in order to maintain that look of this little scrawny nerd. And, you know, we loved him for it. It was great. He asked me several times if he, in fact, did that, and I always felt the need to let him know, yes, you did do that. And it was great. I loved him. And, you know, I think one of the, the things that really hit home about Steve wasn't necessarily his nerdy personality. It was the fact that he was this, this outsider that got welcomed into a family that he didn't belong in. There was just something about it that, I, that resonates with us. And I think it's because at some level, we've often felt like outsiders ourselves. So this morning, we're kind of, we're talking through family, what family is, who, what, what that's all about. As you think about family, you probably get some mental images of a, a great Christmas or a fantastic birthday party or, you know, that great family trip that you guys still talk about. And you love those memories. But you also probably think about Christmas and birthday parties and family vacations that weren't so great. Those ones that, when you think about it, still make you cringe and might even bring a tear to your eye. Because families is a, this amazing thing. But family is also a really hard thing. Some of your best memories happened with family, but some of your worst memories happened with your family. When I think about my own family, I, I grew up with divorced parents. And I don't think my family situation was a nightmare by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't a rainbow factory. Like, there were no unicorns. And so, family was hard. I actually remember uh, there was a point where when we would go between my mom and my dad's house, we met at the police station just in case we needed the police for that exchange to happen. That was real. That was life. Because sometimes family can be really, really difficult. And so we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 2 and look at this. But I want you to go ahead and know at the end of the day, while family's hard, we believe family matters because family matters to Jesus. And we're going to see that today. So Ephesians chapter 2, if you've got a Bible or you've got your phone with you and you've got a digital copy, I'd love for you to go there. If you don't have one with you, that's okay. We're going to throw it up on the screen for you as well. So Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 19. It says, So then, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being put together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are also being built together. For God's dwelling in the Spirit. I really like the way verse 19 opens up in this section because it's, it's a welcoming statement. And think about it. It says you were foreigners and you were strangers. But you're not that anymore. Or think, about, think about yourselves. Like For most of you, there are people in this room, probably a majority of the people in this room, that you would have never interacted with had you not walked in the doors of the exchange, you were strangers. You were the exact opposite of what a family is supposed to be. But 
you're not that anymore. You've come here and you've actually been welcomed into a family. And that's huge. Now, whenever I think about, I think about family, I typically I think about a table, not unlike this table. You know, a family table that you can sit down together and enjoy a meal together. You know, there's, there's just something really intimate about sitting down at a table. There's something that just breaks down walls and breaks down barriers that are there in day-to-day life that when you sit down at a table and have a meal together, those walls and barriers just aren't there anymore. You can have great conversations. Now, true, you can have some great conversations standing in front of a water cooler. You can have great conversations, you know, when the TV's playing. You can have great conversations out at the deer camp. You can have great conversations in lots of places. But for me, some of the most important and intimate conversations I've ever had happened at a table with somebody I consider to be family. And Jesus understood that. He understood the impact that sitting down at a table has on people. That's why when you you hear Jesus in the Bible, a lot of times he's doing one of a couple of things. He's eating. He's talking about eating. He's talking about where they should go to eat. He's telling stories about eating. Or he's eating. He's eating all the time. Like a lot of Bible commentators actually look at Jesus, they look at the Gospels, and they go, Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. He ate his way through them because most of the time he is eating. Jesus actually compared heaven to a giant banquet. He said heaven's going to be like this huge table and everybody's just sitting down eating together. Like Jesus loved food and he loved to sit down at the table with people. Probably the most famous meal that happened in human history was shared between Jesus and the people that he considered to be family sitting in an upper room. So I want to look at one of uh, Jesus' eating table situations. It comes out of Mark chapter 2. Now, this isn't the Last Supper, but it is a really, really interesting one, and one you're probably a bit familiar with. So this is Mark chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. It says, While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. And when the scribes and who were Pharisees saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, It's not those who are well who need a doctor. It's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus wasn't just known for eating. He was known for eating with people that you really shouldn't even stand next to in public just in case somebody might think you were friends. But instead of just standing next to them in public, Jesus would actually go And sit down at a table with them. He'd share a meal with them. And it was at this particular table that Jesus was able to lovingly tell some people, Hey, you're spiritually unwell, but I'm able to make you well. 
Now, I want you to imagine that. Like, had Jesus not sat down at the table, had Jesus instead walked up to these guys in the middle of the street and said, hey, you're spiritually dead. No one would receive that well. Have you ever had somebody just randomly walk up to you and tell you something was wrong with you? You, you wouldn't receive that very well. And so instead of yelling at people from the street corners that, hey, you need to repent, Jesus would instead take and sit down at a table with them. He'd instead share a meal with them. And so when he would actually take and bring them to the table and share that meal with them, it would, it would create trust. And so Jesus was able to then lean in and say, hey, we need to have a hard conversation. You're not where you need to be spiritually. And instead of feeling judged or hated, they knew that Jesus was actually speaking to them from a place of love and concern because he was first willing to sit down at a table with them, to share a meal with them, to make them feel welcomed. You ever sat down at a wobbly table in a restaurant? Is that just me? Good. I'm glad a few of you have had that experience as well. It's wonderful. You love it every time. You sit down at the table, and as you sit down and you put a hand or your phone on, it's usually my phone, and the table does this number. And you already know this isn't going to be a good night. Like, it's over now. Your whole night is ruined, or at least mine is. Because I sit down at the table, it wobbles, and I go, okay, how do I fix it? I'm going to lean on this side. I'll lean on it, and we're good, and everything's fine. Virginia and I will talk a little bit, but then it happens. I need that drink, right? So I lean over because I've forgotten now. I have forgotten why I was leaning so hard on the table, so I lean over, and everything rocks again, and it irritates me. It does. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it when a table is poorly built like that. The truth is, though, like us, we're not always the best at building our family table. Sometimes our family table, it wobbles a little bit. But here, here's one of the cool things that happens. Sometimes if the foundation is built just right, it'll still balance out that wobbly table. In verse 20, Jesus leans in and he goes, verse 20 of Ephesians, he says, hey, I'm that foundation. I'm the foundation that you're going to build your family table on. And not only am I the foundation, I'm the cornerstone of that foundation. Now, if you're not a builder, you're not familiar with what a cornerstone is. I'm not a builder either, but I looked it up. And so a cornerstone is literally the first stone you're going to lay and it's going to be in the corner, I know, shocker. It's in the corner. And so you you look in like our center block walls. At one point, somebody had to go, all right, this is where we're going to put the first one. And so they put it, and you know, it was pointed this way, and it was pointed this way. And so that's where the building went. But here's the thing. Had they taken and shifted it that much? Like you probably, if you're towards the back, you really couldn't even quite tell I turned. But But it did. And now the entire direction of this building would have been changed with just that slight turn. Because a cornerstone literally sets the direction of your entire building. Jesus is the cornerstone of our foundation. Jesus sets the direction of our foundation. 
And at its core, that means everything we say or do should look like what Jesus said or did while he was on earth. But let's be honest, we're not actually good at that, right? Like, you know, we know that we've heard it, but we're not actually good at saying and doing what Jesus said we should do. We're not good at building solid tables. But that's okay. Because what you get to then do is lean in and say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm actually not very good at being loving or kind to people. It's just, it's not my default attitude. But let me point you to the one who is. Let me show you Jesus who is perfect and who is always loving and kind. See, like like me personally, I, I'm probably not a super welcoming person. Like that's just not my default attitude. And it's funny because I'm actually in charge of our guest services, which are the people that welcome you from the parking lot all the way to your seat. I know, irony, right? I'm not a welcoming person because I like my personal space. Like I've got about a 10 foot radius around me. I'd prefer you not step into it. And it's great. Like at 10 o'clock, they were on the front row. They were too close, but you guys, you stayed back and I appreciate it. It was good. It was good. No, so I consciously have to invite people in, not just to my personal space, but I have to invite people in relationally and emotionally. It's something I have to work at. I have to consciously take my leading from the cornerstone of Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to invite people in so that I can learn from them and so that I can then in turn introduce them to the one who brought me from death to life through grace and invited me into his family. I have to do that consciously because it's, it's not who I am naturally. And if we're honest, it's not who most of us are. Most of us aren't very good at admitting we don't have a loving or kind attitude. We're, we need to learn how to admit that we're not loving and kind. Like that, that's, that's one of the things we all need to walk away here today going is, I'm not loving and kind. But I know the one who is. Now, when Virginia and I got married, we, uh, we lived in a little tiny house. You know, first house, always tiny house, right? It's the small one. And so we lived in this tiny house that literally didn't have enough space for a table in our kitchen. Like, there, we could not put even, like, a little coffee table in there. There wasn't room. We had a little bit of a bar. It stuck out about that far. You could fit two stools in it, and that's what we did. And so we never invited people over to eat because... Where were they going to eat? On the floor? There wasn't space there either. That's where the cabinets were. So we didn't invite people over. Eventually, though, we, uh, we rented a house, and it had a bit more space, so we got a table. And I'm going to geek out a little bit, but do, do you guys know the tables that when you pull them apart, the table leaf is, like, in there? You guys know those tables? Love them. So cool. Like, you just you pull it apart, you fold it out, and you push it just a little together, and boom, table leaf. Love it. I love it because in my mom's house, we had two table leaves. And growing up, those two table leaves lived at the back of the junk closet. And they were always at the back of the junk closet. And so Thanksgiving hit, and mom went, all right, get the table leaves out. And I went, great, see you in an hour when I get done digging them out of there. Like, it's going to take me a minute. So I love our table. I love that you can just pop the leaf out of it. 
But even after we got a house and we put this table in it, we still we didn't really invite people over. We were new to the area. We didn't know people. We didn't invite them over. Along the way, we started leading a life group. And so that life group met at our house, and they met around that table. So once a week, we'd take, we'd pull the table apart, we'd pop the leaf out, we'd push it together, we'd meet around the table, we'd eat, we'd talk, laugh, ha-has, and all that good stuff. We'd kick them out because they'd been there too long. We'd pull the table apart, we'd fold it up, put it down, close the table up. And we did that once a week, every week, for quite a while. We've reached a place now, though, we don't, we don't ever put the table leaf up anymore. And we don't put it up anymore because we're always prepared to invite people into our lives. We're always prepared to invite people to sit down at the table and join our family. Now, that doesn't mean our house is always clean and organized. That doesn't mean I vacuum every day and get all the dog hair up like I should because I got dogs, they shed. I got one, he just got a haircut. His hair should be not shedding, but for some reason I still find it everywhere. Like, there's hair everywhere. That's my house. It's fine. I live with it. We, uh, we usually have stuff piled up on our ta- table. Like end of the day, you come home, you empty the pockets, you throw the book bag or whatever you got. It lands on the table and there it lives until you decide to clean the table. Like all of that's constantly in our house. But we're still ready to invite people to our table. We're still ready to invite them into our family. Now, as the exchange, we, uh, we don't meet at tables here in the building. We don't meet at tables here in the building because we can't fit all of you people here in the building. There's too many of you. There's a reason we do three services on a typical Sunday. There's literally hundreds upon hundreds of people that call the exchange family. And so we can't fit everybody at a table here, but I, I want you to know that we've got a table leaf big enough for you. Like, yeah, we may have to meet at tables around Rankin County. We might have to put you out in Brandon or out in Florence or over in Flowood or here in Pearl. We'll have to put you at a house somewhere that isn't this building. But we've got space for you at the table. We can fit everyone at our table. And you don't have to be perfect to sit there. We're definitely not perfect. You don't have to wear nice clothes. Like, I don't Fairly casual, I feel like. You don't have to have perfect kids. Like, I'll introduce you to some of our staff kids. I'll introduce you to some of our staff kids after they've been here for three services, they haven't had a nap, and they're hungry. Things get real, real quick. It's good. You uh, don't even have to believe in Jesus to sit at our table. You can sit at our table for years and never come to believe what we believe, but we still want you to join us. We still want you to feel like you're part of our family because we want you here. Now, one of the things I know about family tables is it's great to sit down at them. Like, we love it. You love that moment because you probably don't do it that often during the week. But, you know, there's like that one night and you, you sit down at the table and you just, it feels right. But sitting down at the table doesn't mean meals always go quite the way you wanted them to. 
sometimes there's awkward conversations that have to happen. I remember uh, sitting down at the table after I quit my job in high school and didn't talk to my parents about it first. Now, I quit for what I felt were valid reasons. Just want to throw that out there. But I didn't talk to my parents about it first. And it turns out they weren't super thrilled that I lost the income uh, that was paying for my gas and the things I like to do on the weekends. They didn't like that much. And so me and my mom sat down at a table. It wasn't a table quite like this one. It was actually a table at a Mexican restaurant, which meant there were plenty of other people there to enjoy our conversation as well. And my mom had a talking to me about it. I enjoyed the conversation. Pretty much hated it the whole time. But it was a conversation that needed to happen because I needed to know. And it was a conversation that was able to happen because we were family. So sitting down at the table with family is a fantastic feeling because it means we belong somewhere. But sitting at the table also means you're going to have responsibilities. It's going to come with accountability. Sitting at the table comes with responsibilities and accountability, even if we don't want it to. Verse 21 and 22 in Ephesians 2 continues, and it talks about the fact that not only is Jesus the cornerstone of our foundation, he's actually the one who's building it all up. He's the one who's building our family home. And he's literally building our family home into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Now, if we were to take, circle up the chairs and all start to have a conversation, there's probably 80 or so of us in the room, and we, we'd have a conversation and say, hey, what do we want our family to look like? Well, we'd have about 120 different opinions of what our family should look like because, you know, some people have two opinions. They don't even match together like they're completely different opinions. I don't know why you have two completely different opinions, but some of you do, and that's fine. We love you anyway. But we'd have 120 opinions about what our family should look like. Here's the deal, though. We're not in charge of this family. We don't get to set the direction of it. Remember, Jesus is that cornerstone that sets the direction of our family. He's the one who's in charge. And so, if you decide to sit down at the table, it means you're you're agreeing to be lovingly called out when your direction doesn't match. Now notice I said lovingly called out. I didn't say we were going to yell at you or if this is your first time here, we're not going to meet you at the back door and hand you a list of things you need to get straightened out. Like that's, that's not what we're going to do. We're just going to love you. We're going to love you however you need to be loved. And for some people, that might take a while. Because you've been on the outside so long, it, it starts to be hard to believe that maybe, maybe I can belong there. Maybe I really can be a part of that family. And we're just going to love on you. We're going to love you however you need to be loved. When we reach that place of, of you feeling that love, then we'll probably start to have some hard conversations. But we're going to patiently love you as long as it takes, because Jesus patiently loved us 
while he pursued us. While he, he called to us, wanting us to enter into his family. And then we're going to lovingly have the hard conversations because Jesus had the hard conversations with us. You know, if we were to sit down at the table, I could probably find somebody that's already at the table who's been through something similar as what you've been through. I can probably find somebody who's sitting at the table who's done basically what you've done. Like that thing that you think nobody else has ever done, I guarantee you I can find somebody at the table who's been through something similar. And I also guarantee they would lean in and have the hard conversation with you. And they would do that because somebody leaned in and had the hard conversation with them. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't even want the conversation. Like it just started and they were like, oh no, we're talking about it. But when it was over, even though it hurt, they look back and go, that that was the moment. That hard conversation was a moment of me finally leaning in. Me finally going, I, I need to trust Jesus. Let him straighten this out. So you remember those people that, that had sat down at the table with Jesus? He was able to lean in and have that hard conversation because he had first sat down and loved them well. Our hope is that we spend enough time loving you well that when it comes time for the hard conversation, you'll listen because you know we're not speaking from a place of thinking we're better than you. We're not speaking of a place of judgment. We're speaking from a place of love and concern. Hopefully you'll know that we've got your best interests at heart. As I, uh, as I brushed up on my family matters, I came across this, this statement that Carl made. Carl the dad, Carl the guy who's just trying to be a good dad, guy who's just trying to lead his family well and take care of them, keep food on the table. Carl leaned in to Steve one time and he told him something. Steve, you remember Steve, the really annoying neighbor that didn't have personal boundaries and he uh, literally destroyed half of Carl's house on numerous occasions. Like that, Steve. He leaned in and he said, Steve, I couldn't be more proud of you if you were my own son. See, Carl loved Steve. Carl wasn't under any obligation to love Steve. Like he had his own kids to take care of. Carl didn't need this pesky neighbor kid always popping up in his life. But for some reason, Carl, Carl took him under his wing. Showed him how to be a responsible young man. Carl took and literally made space and invited Steve into their home when Steve's family abandoned him. Carl made space at the table for Steve and invited him to join the family. 
that's what Jesus did for us. You know, he looks at us and he goes, you've, you've messed up. I had this perfect creation and you messed it up. He goes, you, uh, you never stopped doing that thing you told me you were going to stop doing. Like there was that brief five-minute pause, but that was just because you hadn't left the house yet. He said, you never started doing the thing you told me you were going to start doing. I don't care. I love you. Jesus looks at us and he says, I love you. And I want to invite you into my family. So family matters because family matters to Jesus. Family matters to us because family matters to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.